Hi, Filmatics. Thanks for tuning One. in. <laughs> hey, yes. Guess who that is? We got a little, we have someone really, uh, I can't wait for you to find out who that was in the background. But we have an amazing guest for you today, Stan Wiselitter. I hope I said that right, Stan. Did I say it right? It was close enough. <laughs> well, he'll have to correct me. But Stan is a radio host at The View from Over Here Radio Show. And Stan is also the book author of the book, The Dogs of Brownsville, which is an amazing story that was ripped from the headlines of the past years filled with gratuitous sex and overflowing with profanity about a handful of guys and girls that make it out of the ghetto of Brownsville and arrive in Las Vegas in time to witness and participate the changing of the guard from the mob to Howard Hughes' corporate America. Let's welcome Stan Wesletter. Stan, please correct me on how to say that name. Hi, Stan. Uh, Weiss leader. Oh, Weiss leader. Weiss, Weiss leader. There you go. You got it right. Okay. Yeah. And I want everyone to know, like, this is Stan's very, very first Google Meet recording. So, Stan, this is his first audio Zoom meet ever. <laughs> yeah. So, if I screw it up, <laughs> anyway. Give me some slack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Stan, where in the world are you recording with me from today? I am in Las Vegas, where I reside. Oh, so you are in the Sin City. <laughs> no, I don't call it that. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just teasing, but that's what they say. But it's awesome. Or well, hopefully, is, are the casinos open right now or they're still closed? They're partly open maybe at 35% capacity. Oh, okay, yeah. But I never go anyway. I just, I, you won't, you can't get me to a casino. I don't believe, you know, my thought is that Las Vegas, Las Vegas was not built on winners. It was built on losers. So, so uh, enough of that, you know. <laughs> Well, you can do if it. If I go to Las Vegas to bet, I will bet on myself, not on one of those machines. Okay, but I like going to like the Caesar's Palace pool or the Wynn or the beautiful Bellagio Hotel with all those decorations and those beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're nice to see. And if you want to go see a show or have a good dinner, yeah. fine. But just stay away from the machines. Uh-oh. <laughs> when, I, when I see those people, they'll sit there for hours and pull those little um, those little hand cranks down, and they'll just sit there and pull them and pull them. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, very, very exciting. Beautiful place. It's fun to walk around. It's like adult city. But let's, let's find out about um, some things about Stan. So, Stan, I want to ask you, what was one of your favorite films growing up as a, as a kid? As a kid? I thought back about that, and uh, I would say it was the movie Night Without Armor, based based on a uh, 1933 novel by James Hilton. The movie was made in 1937, and it takes place during the Russian Revolution of 1917. And I think it's the kind of movie that should be uh, remade. You know, they... They've remade so many movies. This one, this one, I think, is long overdue for a remake. Oh, and can you just share with what is it a comedy or is it a drama? Oh no, no, it's about spies. Robert Donat plays a British 
guy in the publishing business, as I recall, and he gets involved in spot with spies. And the Countess is played by none other than Marlena Dietrich. Wow. So you have uh, two major stars playing in this movie, Robert Donat and Marlena Dietrich. And I, I thought it was a great movie, and I think it should be remade. Oh, yeah. And I think people are going to watch that. It's a black and white one, right? A black and white film. Right? Absolutely. Black and white. 1937, there weren't too many movies that were made in color. Yeah. It was too expensive. Now you expect them all to be in color. But yeah. back then, black and white was uh, basically uh, the way to go. Yeah. And um, yeah, speaking of that, they're rebooting a lot of things and making sequels. And when um, I was first uh, writing, directing, producing short films as an indie filmmaker, um, I spoofed, uh, it was Independent Jones and the Quest for the Holy Bull. And then I did, uh, I spoofed that they were making the 23rd Rocky and so I, <laughs> I just went before the sequels got like crazy. And so I had like the boxers and yeah. uh, we, we had the 23rd uh, and we called that it Rocky. That may Rocker. come about, Rocky 23, for sure. Of yeah, course. yeah. Because it's like, it's, and, and um, they kidnapped Hero, the original screenwriter, because the evil sequel producer, Nemesis the Third, didn't want any original writers because uh, they, they their empire of sequel producing. <laughs> so uh, It would be contaminated. Is that it? Yeah, they didn't want original screenplays. They just wanted people to go to movie theater. And uh, the evil sequel producer, Nemesis III, had two henchmen, the Exclamation Brothers, and they put a device in people's ears so they would only watch sequels. It's just so, you know, the things that you do when you make a film and you're doing comedy. <laughs> but, but, Absolutely. Um, yeah, the fun, the joy of writing, the joy of filmmaking. And that, that leads me to my second question. Uh, can you share with us uh, perhaps one of your favorite Criterion films that led you on your path to becoming this amazing writer and radio host that you are? Uh, one of my favorite films? A Criterion it, films, uh-huh. Uh, well, when you say Criterion, uh, in, in what sense do you mean Criterion? The ma One of the master filmmakers, you know, like- did Oh, you and then I, I would have to say Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, that's a beautiful film. And I, I remember I even read the book, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. There, you know, there are not too many similarities between books and movies, but in this case there was. And uh, it's one of those it's one of those films because of the photography. The photography in that film film is absolutely amazing. The scenes, the vistas, it's, it's just incredible. Anyway, uh, I don't know how many times I've seen it, a few, uh, I would say maybe four or five times. And there's one other which I must mention. The Last Samurai, that's a Tom Cruise movie. And I thought that one was also really incredible. So those are those were, I guess, my favorite movies that I can recall. Yeah, I like the Seven Samurai. That's those are so you got the Last Samurai, the Seven Samurai, the probably the Twenty Samurais, the Samurai Buddies, the Samurai BFF. A, a lot of samurais around there. Yeah, and on my on my and on my kids program, I have Ninja Camp. So, <laughs> uh, so oh, ninjas. Okay, ninjas. Yeah. Um. So. I want to ask you, um, what's one of your favorite directors, and do you have a, a favorite 
directing scene from a movie, especially since you're a writer or well, maybe you have a I favorite think one? I, I would have to say Brian De Palma. Oh, yeah. Whatever I see, see it when he makes, hmm, man, now my phone is ringing. <laughs> Live on the air. Uh, nobody important. They'll wait. <laughs> this is the joy of listening to podcast recording mine. Let's see if it's a spammer. <laughs> Let's see. Now, where are you? Question to me, where are you sitting? Where, where are you now? I'm in Los Angeles. I am in Los oh, Angeles. Oh, LA. Okay. Yep, it rained today. It rained today. So you were telling us about your favorite director and your favorite uh, director shot of a movie. Most favorite shot. That's a good one. Wow. So many of those. Uh, I would have to come back to that one. Sure. Or as the new press secretary says, we'll have to circle back for that one. <laughs> we'll circle back, okay? And um, we were going to be circling back to Stan Wise Letters, uh, his favorite director and his favorite film shot. Well, do you have a favorite line from a movie you'd like to share with us? God, there are so many. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, <laughs> well, I, it's a line in something that I wrote, and it is, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> uh, isn't that from Dorothy, <laughs> the Wizard yes. of Oz? Okay, perfect. <laughs> it's from that. You're teasing us. You're teasing. Or maybe you wrote the Wizard of Oz. What do I know, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. That was written by someone else. I can't take credit for that one. Yeah. Come on, Toto. <laughs> so, yeah. So, which leads me to ask, so how did you start, um, how did you start your career path? Like, where, where did you grow up and um, did you, were you in a play or did you? I, I grew up in Brownsville, which is a, uh, a real crappy area in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, it was a ghetto, but it, but back then, you know, we didn't know that we lived in a ghetto. We, you know, that was life. We thought the whole world was like that. And it wasn't until many years later that I found that, wow, there's a, there's a new world out there. The whole world is not just Brownsville and uh, the ghetto. But like I said, we, we didn't know that we lived in a ghetto. So we were happy. We didn't know any better. Oh, so so you lived in Brownsville and you grew up. Were you um were you were you in were you doing plays or did you um did you play with your brothers and sisters, make believe? Did all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing uh, when uh I remember some in high school, I really didn't do too well my first couple of years. In fact I did terrible. And I remember my great advice great advice. Yeah, that's what they were called. He said to me that I should leave the school and sign up with a school where I could learn how to be an auto mechanic, because obviously I didn't know what I was doing in a, a regular academic school. And uh, I didn't listen to him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right. here I am so, today. Yeah. So um, how did you take the jump um, from the, the town you went to, to, you started writing and started working in the radio? Can you uh, share with our audience a little bit that journey? Well, I always wanted to be in the arts and entertainment, even when I was a little kid. But 
when you think back, uh, why did I not do that? It was because it wasn't safe. So I picked, a, picked out a safe career to go into. You know, arts and entertainment was very flaky. You never know if you get a job or if, or if you'll be at work or whatever. So I became an actuary. And some people would say to me, wow, then you must be very good at math. I said, no, quite the contrary. In high school, I failed the basic algebra one twice consecutively. And then they would say to me, well, how did you ever become an actuary then? Because that's all math. And my answer was, I'm stubborn. That's all. <laughs> and I kept plodding away until I finally did it. Wow, congratulations. That's so inspiring for our audience to hear that uh, math wasn't your cup of tea or your jam. It wasn't your, you know, it wasn't your, your, your thing, but then you were determined to, to, to learn this and you became an actuary. So you beat all odds. So this is so inspiring to our listeners. And so you became an actuary to have a safe, safe platform so you could pay your rent, pay your bills, but your dream, you did not give up on this dream of writing and being an actor. So so you have your job as an actuary, which is all math. And because you're stubborn, you might be a Scorpio like me. Are you a Scorpio by any chance? Scorpio? Yeah. I knew it. How did I know that? <laughs> I don't know. You believe in that junk? Well, because I was just like, he's stubborn. He must be like me. I'm a Scorpio. I, I mean, you know, there's something. There's something. It's always fun to look into it, you know, just to see. But, um, you know, it's. I think like in the old days, like Egyptian, they're always doing stuff with the stars and stuff like that. So if it's mathematical, I'm into it. So you're this actuary working. And then when did you have time to even write? Well, when I retired, uh, turned the business over to my daughter and uh, she became an actuary as well. And what I did was uh, at that point, go back and do all of the things that I wanted to do, but never did because they weren't safe. So I always wanted to become a cop. So I became a cop at age 50. Let's see, I was 55 years old. I was, I'm still the oldest one to have graduated from, from the Los Angeles Sheriff's, Sheriff's Department Academy. So I did that for 23 years. And I wanted to write and I didn't know what to write about. I had no, I, I had, had no clue about writing. So I went back to school. I went to UCLA, took a lot of courses in writing. And I remember the very first course that I took, it was called Getting Started. And I have to tell you, when you look at a blank sheet of paper <laughs> and you don't know what the hell to do, it is, it is frightening. That first blank sheet of paper, and it takes after a while, you know, you get the hang of it, and you listen to the instructors. You take more courses, you get more criticized. You get you get criticized a lot. In fact, yeah, it's a lot of criticism and a lot of rejection. But you just do it, you know. And it's funny, you know, you look at something and you say, "Wow, this is great. This is really fantastic." You put it aside. And you look at it maybe six weeks, eight weeks later, and then you say to yourself, well, this is garbage. How could I have written such junk? It's awful. It's terrible. So what is it? It's, it's a learning process. You just have to keep doing it again and again. You know, it's, it's like somebody would say to me, well, well, how do you practice? What do you do? I said, hey, imagine if you're going to the gym 
every day to work out. You're going to get big muscles. So imagine if you are writing something every day. It could be a little. It, could be, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. But if you keep writing every day, eventually, usually, hopefully, you'll get to be good at it. Almost like going to the gym and doing a workout every day. And it's sometimes it's so discouraging and you just you, you have to want to do it. If you really don't want to do it, then you, not, nothing will happen no matter how, how much you try. Oh. So anyway, uh, that, that's what I did. Just kept doing it and doing it until, uh, until it happens. Like, for instance, the Dogs of Brownsville. It never started out where I would write a lengthy novel, you know, 475 pages. I originally wanted to do a short story. And then the short story kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you knew it, I said, hey, this, this is more than just a short story. So I sat down and wrote out an outline. Because if you're going to write a book, you really need a good outline. So my outline, it took me about six months to write out the outline. The outline was 50 pages long, or roughly one page per chapter. And I looked at this outline and I went over it, I don't know how many times, correcting, adding, deleting. And finally I said, you know, I think it's time to start. So I started to write from my outline, it took me about a year and a half, and then I had it, The Dogs of Brownsville. And then I went over that, I don't know how many times, because writing is really, you know, it's rewriting. Rewriting probably takes longer than the actual writing. And you just keep doing it and keep doing it until you think you have it right. And then of course you want to have it professionally edited. So I had the Dogs of Brownsville professionally edited twice once for grammar and punctuation, and then again for story continuity and make sure I didn't screw up the characters or have somebody who's alive, but really they died maybe four chapters before. So I had everything reviewed twice and then uh, went with it. And so far I'm getting, I'm getting excellent responses from people. Uh, I can't even believe that, what they're saying, I expected a lot of negativity, but all I've gotten is good reviews, good reports. Uh, it seems like everyone likes it. Oh, and even God. though it has a lot of profanity and what you might call a gratuitous sex and whatever, uh, people like it. And strangely enough, it, it seems like more females like the book than males. Oh. I never thought that would be. but. Uh, Anyway, that's that's what it is, and uh, right now I'm plugging away and trying to get the promotion for the book going and get sales up there, maybe to a, a million copies. Yeah, should only be a million copies. I have no idea how many have been sold so far. I won't know until next month. I'll get a report from uh, publishing people, but all I know is... Uh, Everybody who likes it, they're all. Everybody who's who has read it, tell me that they love it. Oh, that's great! And where can they get the dogs of Brownsville? At Amazon or where? Where are the best they? place is Amazon because they are the quickest to get it out 
and send it to you. You can go to any of the other publishing companies because they all share the same thing. But Amazon is quickest. So if you want to get it real fast, Amazon is the way to go. Yeah. And so, and that's Stan and his last name is W E I S L E D E R. Are you using, you are using your, um, your, your real name as your book author name, right? Yeah. I'm using my real name. No, no pseudonyms, <laughs> no fake names, no, uh, no aliases. Yeah. Cause before we it's started, yeah. Stan knows that I have like several aliases for my children's books. I have Sir Herbert Sneakies because the kids like that. And I'm Lady Twizzleton on Enchanting Book Readings podcast. So, um, so that's why you, you got to ask your author if he wants to give away his identity name. But okay, so it's under Stan Wise Letter, the dogs of Bramwell at Amazon. And is this a true story, Stan? Or what? What do we tell people? Well, when people ask me about that, uh, I invented the word faction. In other <laughs> words. Fact. Fiction based on fact. I, I invented that. that word, so if you hear it anywhere else, it's my word. I made it up. Yeah. And uh, is it, uh, well, let's put it this way. With the exception of the parts that I made up, it's all true. Ooh. You know, but you got to read it, you know. And um... Actually, everything in it did happen. Everything in it, but maybe not in the sequence that I have it. And of course, I'm using composites of different characters. So any one of my characters in the book that is based on real people could be maybe based on two, three, or four different people. So it's a composite character. And that's how I write. And it, it seems to, uh, in that way, you get out the best of each character and then you, you make them into one character. Yeah, and um, uh, did and you? What I've done here. Go ahead. Yeah, and what books um influenced you? Because uh, did you have a favorite book that influenced your writing at all, or ones that you enjoyed? Well, books. Well, going back from when I was a kid, I would say, uh, strangely enough, the Idols of the King. No, the the I yeah the Idols. Yeah, The Idols of the King by Tennyson. Oh, wow. That that's a great that, that really uh, made an effect on me when I was a kid. And uh, also, as I was growing up, the book uh, Exodus by Leon Uris, because what I found that he used composites, because I, I was so interested in the characters that he had in the book. I looked them up, did some research. And they too were all real people, but he made composites of them. So his main characters in that book, again, are two, three, four, five, maybe even six people combined into one. So I said to myself, that is a good technique for creating your characters. So that's what I did. Yeah, and I, just I used a little bit from the here and a little bit from there and made, uh, made my people. Yeah, and I, I would love for the audience to know um, also, another book that you wrote is A Killer of Lions, and it's the only novel. Ah, Killer of Lions, it's yeah. It's the only that's, novel uh, ever written about the four squadrons of black fighter pilots during World War II. Is it, is that, am I allowed to say fighter pilots? Like, describe, um, I mean, because I, 
I want to. That's make, what they were. So I'm. That's a, what is that what were. we're allowed? Because it's. I want it because like my friend. These, these, so we're allowed to. Is that because it's like? Oh gosh, I'm hope I'm saying I'm an older generation. So please forgive me, but I'm just because I think it's so important that like it's the only book a killer of pilots. These are four African American fighter pilots during World War II that had to fight two air forces in order to be recognized, the Luftwaffe and the U.S. Army Air Corp. And you are a speaker also. Um, you're a speaker and you do the um, radio show, The View From Over Here. And I want them to know that when you were in the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, most of the time was as reserved as a detective for the child abuse unit of special victims. And you, you know what I mean? The oldest, one of the oldest cops, and you were um, one of the oldest to have graduated from their academy. So you are such a special gift. Not one of the oldest, the oldest. Oh, the oldest. Yeah. So, um, so we have a little time to go over that. Not, not, not one of the oldest, the oldest, the oldest. So he corrected me because that's the way we do it over here on this show. (laughs) So can you, I have to tell you about that. Uh, when I decided that I wanted to become a cop, because that's something that I always wanted to do as a kid. But, you know, things get in the way and different things happen. So when I finally decided that's what I wanted to do, I had to get into shape because I was in such bad shape. So I went down to the uh, track at Calabasas High School in California, in Calabasas, and I went around the quarter mile track. And when I finished that quarter of a mile, I actually thought I was going to die right then and there. I was so out of breath. I, I just dropped and, and, and I didn't think that I was going to get up. That's how exhausted I was. So that took an effort to get back into shape. It took me like six months to get into shape to be able to pass the uh, what they call the, uh, you know, the physical aptitude test. But uh, I did it, and the hardest part of all for me, because I'm not very tall, is to climb over the six-foot wall. To me, that was amazing. Climb over a six-foot wall that has nothing for you to grab other than to grab the top of it. There's nothing to put your feet on, just step up. And when I made it, that day, it felt like every bone in my body was broken. But I felt so good having completed that uh, physical aptitude test. And then it, it was rough for me, the physical part, the, uh, the scholastic part, the reading and the books and that on that. That was easy. I have no problem with that. But the physical parts and uh, the next oldest guy in the class was maybe 30 years younger than me. And he was an ex Marine gunnery sergeant. So it has to give you an idea that uh, doing that physical stuff was, uh, wow, it almost did me in. But I made it, and uh, I wouldn't want to have to do it again. Absolutely no. No way. But uh, once you're done with it, what a feeling. It's, It's amazing. You're floating on clouds. Yeah. Well, you are so incredible. You're such inspiration. And like quickly, can we just, um, because, uh, we might have to do two parts, but if we can go a killer from lions, do you want to give us any, any, um, a little bit about that real quickly? A killer of lions. It's probably not probably, but it's the only novel ever written about the Tuskegee airmen. 
And most people to this day have no idea what they were or who they were. There were four squadrons, four squadrons of black fighter pilots during World War II. And this book is about them and there too, I, I use composites. Like uh, my main character is, so many seconds, is that me? Two minutes. Coming to an end? Two minutes. Okay, then maybe I should stop right now. No, no, we want to hear. We would because we can do part two. We can always go to part two, but I. Uh... Okay, then uh, I'll shut up now and we'll resume with part two. Okay, great. So come back, everyone, please, because I would love for you guys to, um, for everyone to hear um, Stan Westletter, Wiseletter, A Killer of Lions, because I think this is such an amazing World War II story, and I, I really would love for everyone to hear it and, you know, read the book. And so please come back to part two, and especially our oldest, right, our oldest academy graduate of Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, right? That's me. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. But I'm retired now. I retired back in 2013. Okay, great. So After 23 years. So into part one with Stan Wiseletter, and we'll be back for part two. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the show, and see you right back for part two.